Hi, all. It's Sarah, and it's about a month until Bombshell hits. My new series, Hell's Bells, launches August 24th with Cecily Talbot's story, Bombshell. In the series, you'll meet a group of Victorian-era girl vigilantes? Would we call them vigilantes? Possibly. Um, Anyway, a bunch of really badass women who hang out together in cool places and do maybe crime things and also fall in love in the balance. Anyway, I hope you'll find it sexy and fun and rollicking and a generally good time. You can pre-order it wherever books are sold. And there will, as always, be a bombshell episode sometime in August for you to learn a little more about where my head was at while I was writing. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And thanks for reading. I'm excited. We're going to talk about television. A different medium altogether. Should we tell everybody the truth? I think we should. I feel like we need to confess our dirty little shameful secret. Go ahead. Uh, we're recording this twice because the first time around, we couldn't figure out how to talk about a TV show. <laughs> and Eric was like, hey, dummies, it's a story. <laughs> and we were like, no, somehow we did it wrong. We would like a second try. <laughs> like, we just were like, I don't, I mean, I know, look, I mean, I get the part of our charm is that, like, we meander around, we talk about all sorts of things. Oh, and, like, it felt chatter, like chatter. we were really just on a walkabout is what we were on. <laughs> Yes, it wasn't good, everybody. So, anyway, welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read them. I'm Jennifer Prokop. I am a romance reader and critic and a Ted Lasso fan. <gasps> a Ted Lasso fan. You know what I was thinking about in the shower this morning? I was thinking about the fact that when I first, first said to you, you gotta watch Ted Lasso, you were like, I don't like TV. I probably did say that, yes. And now look at us, recording an episode about Ted Lasso. I watched Ted Lasso twice, everyone. That's how much I liked it. Best homework ever. It really was the best homework ever. Let me talk about our reason for being here today. Yes. We all know Ted Lasso season two starts this week. Mm -hmm. We all love the show. It's so soft. It's so soft. Here's the thing. I think Ted Lasso is like, I was thinking um, earlier about like, cinnamon rolls and how we talked about cinnamon rolls. We'll link Eric. Oh, oh, before we get up, we're going to go on walkabout just for a second. I'm sure everyone's shocked. (laughs) We ran this survey and uh, you can go take it. If you haven't taken it yet, you can take it at fatedmates.net. We were expecting, I don't know, like 60 of you to take this survey. More than a thousand of you it's have amazing. taken yes. this survey, and we are fully blown away by so much about this survey. But one of the things that Eric took away, because Eric is our wonky Aquarius, you know, producer guy, <laughs> he was like, listen, the lesson that we can take away from this survey was not how much, how lovely all the little notes that everyone left us were, although that was what I took away. I from enjoyed it. that a lot, yes. He was like, the lesson is that you and Jen don't talk enough about the old episodes and what you talked about on those episodes because not you know a lot of people don't go back and listen right. to old episodes. So anyway, we talked about Cinnamon Roll Heroes once before. And uh, and I've been thinking about Ted Lasso through the lens of like the Cinnamon Roll, like that ooey gooey. And I think Ted is like too, too gooey. Like I... 
Oh, he's. I a, don't know that I can imagine him as like a a romance hero. Completely Even constructed of, of like sugar like, molecules. It's oh, fine. Rebecca, I sort of love the idea of him. Like the there are some moments where him and Rebecca, where I'm like, oh, look how cute they could be, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know if I. I don't know what I want for Rebecca. I just want Rebecca to be whatever she I just want be. Rebecca to live her best life. Yes, yeah. exactly. If she wants Ted, she gets I him. I mean, like, if Rebecca wants to, like, bang a soccer player every day for the rest of eternity, I'm for it. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> so, cosign. I was just thinking pleasantly <laughs> about who would she, like, what order she'd go in, you know. <laughs> Maybe some together at the same time. Where you would begin, you just start. No, it they're numbered already, Jen. <laughs> Podcast over, everybody. Okay. That's not our reason for being here. I mean, we are no. the Rebecca fan club, but that's not our reason for being we here. We have today. a question. Yes. We have an empirical, very important question that we would like to answer. Yes. We are, we've decided to do an entire episode where we answer this question. Yes. And that question is... Is Roy Kent a romance hero? I love this so much. I mean, obviously Roy Kent is a romance hero. Obviously, you guys know he is. But strap in. (laughs) One of the reasons that we are doing this, before we sort of get into this. So first of all, obviously, because we love this show and we think you should watch it. But second of all... Everyone who listens to Faded Mates is already, like, a romance novel fan. And one of the other things we really saw in the um, the survey is a lot of people coming to romance like we did, which was kind of like, it's a secret. It's not something you talk about with everybody, right? And we are, of course, big proponents of, like, no, be loud and proud about your love of romance. But I think the other thing that we can do is talk about how do we see romance archetypes in other kinds of media you consume, right? Mm -hmm. We see these stories and plot lines and characters in places other than romance novels. And so, you know, if you're one of those people who's like, I'm kind of afraid to talk about how much I love romance, but you could say like, look, if you love these characters in Ted Lasso, then you would love a romance. This is why I love romance, right? So I think there's also, you know, I feel like we're now ready for like some romance outreach, You love it more than you think, everybody. Exactly. And also, we're going to do the hard work here (laughs) at Fate of Mates. Never say we don't give you anything. We're going to do the hard work here of finding you things outside of the medium of romance novels. Yes. Where you can feel comfortable and settle in and know that you are going to be carried through by a real deal romance hero slash heroine slash main character. Yes. And Roy Kent. That is the gift we are giving. That is the gift we are giving people here at the end of season three. <laughs> yes, romance is everywhere, <laughs> and we're going to help you find it. We're going to help you search it out. But we don't want you to get stuck in one of these terrible movies where everyone dies at the end. We would never do that to you. No, Roy Kent does not die at the end of Ted Lasso season one. <laughs> There's two in season two and three. Who can say? Who can but. say? He does end up in a garbage can full of ice water, but that's, that's very hot. Let's be it was honest. Anyway, he heats up that that garbage can full of ice water. Anyway, here we got to go back though. Okay, we have to start from the start. So Ted Lasso. For those of you who don't know, who are not participating in romance novel Twitter, where everyone and their mother is talking about Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is a thirty minute comedy. Yep. On Apple TV Plus, it is. A true delight, this show. It is. It and is. And I gotta say, 
like when it's when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, yeah, right. It's like a fish out of water story in, you know, f- football, football, global football. We're going to call it football. It's American soccer. But we're going to use football. The, yes. We're going to use football because more than a billion people around the globe use the word football to describe this game that yes. we don't use. So there are more of them than there are of Americans, so we're going to say football. Right. So here's the way this episode's going to work. We are going to talk about Roy Kent as Ron Wayne's hero and some of the other, I think, key kind of characters and plots. And then stick around at the end, my brother Eric, who is a guest. sports expert and a real smart guy. His and a delight. We've already recorded that part. It's delightful. Came to talk to us, and he's a huge um, football fan. Which you all know because he brought us Jurgen Klopp. So he's going to be on at the end to talk about um, Ted Lasso almost as like kind of a sports show. And he has some great things to say where we're going to sort of talk about how it fits these romance kind of beats and romance tropes instead. So we're going to give you a little bit of everything. So Roy Kent, for those of you who haven't watched Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso is about a um, American football coach. So he coaches college football in Kansas and he has been hired by a, a, a football team in England to a Premier League football team in England to coach right. their team, um, which is a surprise, I think, for everyone, including Ted, um, <laughs> yes. who is reading <laughs> soccer for dummies on the plane over to England in the first um in the first scene of the series. Right. Um, So he gets there, and it is a traditional fish-out-of-water story. Ted is a character who you should be deeply annoyed by, but somehow is charming and lovely because he's just, like, a joy bomb always. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, like, full of, like, you know, hokey dad jokes. And... Yeah. It's... It's really... It should not be charming, but it really is, which is which really is a testament to Jason Sudeikis's acting and the whole uh, writing room's work. So when he gets there and he brings along his um, kind of best friend and assistant coach, Coach Beard. So the two of them together. So, you know, even though Ted is a fish out of water, he does have his, you know, bestie with him. And Coach Do we Beard think clearly. Coach Beard is named Coach Beard because that's his name or because he has a beard? I I feel like in season two, we might discover Coach Beard has like a completely different name. <laughs> I could see that actually. Anyway, fine. go on. All right. See, already we're oh, never afraid to ask the big questions here at Faded Mates, right? Probing, so, deep probing. One of the things that happens is when Ted and Beard get to um, Richmond, which is a fictional Premier League team, um, they find, you know, sort of a a bunch of what I would consider, like, sort of typical, like, I've you know, I watched a lot of sports movies in the past. I enjoy them. I like a victory story. You know, so we have the young, flashy superstar, Jamie Tart. Um, we have the sort of um, the kit man who is, you know, like works around the team in the locker room and all the other Nate guys make fun great. of him. Nate the Great. Um, and then we have um, we have some like a really interesting group of like young kind of players that we, you know, that are kind of rising stars, but nowhere near as talented as Jamie. 
And this is like a really vibrant international community of, of players too, right? Because that I think is what is happens in the Premier League. And then we have grizzled veteran Roy Kent, who probably is like 34, but you know, he's at the end of his career. He's not as young as he used to be. Um, you know, he, you know, needs massages and to sit in ice baths and can't run as fast as he used to. Um, but he has all, he's like, a like if Ted is a joy bomb, then Roy is like, I mean, we say grumpy sunshine, but Roy is even. He is like a landmine of grumpiness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But here's the truth. You know, that scene in Indiana, I know how you feel about ancient uh, pop culture references, but here we are. We are our age, though. Sarah. I know. It's fine. <laughs> I, I mean, you know that scene in Indiana Jones when he's teaching at the front of the classroom and the girl, like, closes her eyes and it says, I love you on her eyelids? Yes. That's my Roy Kent. My whole Roy Kent That's aesthetic your Roy Kent is face. like me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna paint it on my, eye, my eyelids and go for it. Roy Kent is played by a phenomenal actor and also writer who is in the writer's room, Brett Goldstein. Tell the story of how he got the job playing Roy Yeah. Because it's great. So, I mean, I don't know Brett Goldstein, but this is what I hear is is the truth. So the story goes that Brett Goldstein was in the writer's room for Ted Lasso and they were in the early stages. They were like brainstorming the arcs of the story and they were brainstorming kind of all the B and C arcs. There's obviously the A arc of the of the story is Ted and Ted's relationship with Rebecca and like Mm -hmm. the whole football piece. Sure. Um, But. Brent Goldstein's, you know, they were all, they were brainstorming, like, what's the Jamie Tart arc? What's the Roy Kent arc? And at some point um, during the discussion of what, who Roy Kent was and how he was growing and, like, what kind of character he would be, Brett Goldstein got in his head that he would like to play this character, except he's not an actor. He's a writer. So he, the story goes that he went home to his home in London and he um, drank a bunch of beer, I think, and then wrote an email to um, the rest of the writing team that basically said, like, I would really like to play Roy Ken, or at least to audition for the character of Roy. Um, it, and these are all the reasons why. And then if you think this is a terrible idea, let's just pretend I never sent this email. Just <laughs> never mention this email to me. I love it. Again, which is like the most British... It's like peak Britishness, it feels like. And anyway, they of course he came in the next day. And I like to like, imagine it worked the way the episode works where they promote Nate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you, I'll tell you something interesting. You were just talking about like the writer's room. So I know I've mentioned before my sister-in-law Janine writes for TV. And the coolest thing ever is when she was writing for a show called The Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. We were in LA and we actually were on set with her and we, and I saw the coolest thing and I was like, oh, this is really neat. In the writer's room, there's this huge whiteboard and across the top, it says essentially like episode one through, in this case would be 10. And then on the side, it has all the characters' names or the other way around, doesn't matter. And what they would do is they would essentially like, because 
like each writer sort of takes an episode, but they sort of plan all the arcs together. What they would do is like essentially, so it would be like Roy Kent. And then in each of those little boxes, it would sort of tell us what Roy was up to in each of those episodes. So that plotting part, it's really interesting to sort of see it all and to, to, you know, sort of as you're watching it unfolds and you're like, oh, this is what happens, but they are so in control of it the whole time. And so mm-hmm. I think it's really cool to like imagine him at some point being like, hey, wait, I want to <laughs> do this. I not only want to write this, I want to do this, I think. So obviously, you know, there's lots of discussion of Roy Kent in Romance Land. Um, there, there's a great tweet that came through a few weeks ago that was like, I watched Ted Lasso and all of Roy Kent's grunts made me realize, like, what a Sarah McLean <laughs> hero is like. <laughs> I was like, yes, agreed. Um, so, but Roy has this really beautiful arc as a story. We're not going to talk about all the other, I mean, I'm sure we will, like, periodically bring in right, other story other arcs, folks, but yes. we want to sort of try to stay focused on Roy Kent and Keely, who is the um, his love interest through throughout the course of the first season, but Roy has this really remarkable arc as a leader. Right, yes. he is. He really reads. We we just had Susan Elizabeth Phillips on. He really reads like an an archetypal um, sports romance hero. Right. For me. Like, I think this is where when we ask this question, like, is he a romance hero? For me, it kind of begins with the Chicago Stars style hero. Yeah. Because, and um, because he is, he's this kind of grizzled grump. He's in his 30s. He was, he had a golden foot, right? Like right. When he was born, he was born with a football, you know. In hand, or I guess not in hand, whatever, in foot. It reminds me of that scene in Bull Durham, right, where he says to, like, like the young pitcher, like, you know, you, the, you know, you were blessed by the gods. Like, they reached down and made mm-hmm. your arm like a thunderbolt or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so the thing about Roy is he had this, but he he's out, he's aged out of that. Like, his talent yeah. is no longer as effortless as he it was. He doesn't. He doesn't have, yeah, he's not a wunderkind anymore, right? Like, this is a thing that happened, you you know, he was was blessed by the gods as a young man, and now he's an older, he's not old, I mean, he's still. But older for Premier League soccer, right? But he's older for Premier League soccer, and now he can't run as fast, and he can't, you know, like, he needs to sit in an ice bath. And he is plagued by the specter of his youth, which is made flesh in <laughs> Jamie Tart. Jamie Tart, who right. is the biggest douche. <laughs> Here's the thing that's really interesting that I think got back to Susan Elizabeth Phillips. So one of the things she said is she said, you know, my romance heroes are often men in, like, you know, sports heroes, right? Like, these were professional athletes who had this profile of being very talented as young men, but now at the end of their careers. And I think the reason that sort of makes sense is because... You have a, if once you're at the end of your career, no matter when it is or where it is or how old you are, you have to really be in this like soul searching question of what's next. 
And I think it is very clear, it's not necessarily about his mortality, right? He's still a young man, but his days in football are numbered. And Roy, it is clear to us, knows that from the very beginning. He's insulted that Ted is going to be his, like, last gaffer, right? Like, this wanker. And he knows that, you know, they're never going to win. I mean, of course, it would be ideal if all these guys could, like, go out at the end winning. And so I think it makes sense that, one of the things is there's this vulnerability in him then as a character because how is he going to essentially gracefully exit the stage that he once ruled, right? Mm-hmm. And that gives him the opportunity to not just think about his life after football in terms of like professionally, but emotionally, right? Who am I if I'm not R- Roy Kent? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that is a story like that is a character arc that we in in romance romance know so well. I'm thinking about um, Kate Meter's Man Down, which I don't think we've talked about on the podcast, but is a hockey romance. Also, I want to put a pin pin in this and like come back to Mm -hmm. it later. But like, what's the deal on why there aren't that many soccer romances? Well, I think because a lot of American written romance for American audiences, it's just not. And when we are with Eric, he'll talk more about that, right? Like, it's such an international sport. Right. A billion people, but only 8 million Americans of that billion, which is a tiny fraction. Right. So I think maybe it's just, um, there is a series of soccer romances, though, written in a fictional Atlanta soccer team and I will look up the author, Rebecca, okay. something. Right? Well, I'm going to talk about Kate yeah. Meter's Man Down for a second. So yeah. um, this is just another, because, I mean, we're talking about is Roy Cannon romance here, but of course we're going to talk about books as we go. Um, so th- the hero of this book is a widower, and um, the premise is v- extremely cute. The the meat cute is very cute in that he ha- has he is a widower, and he has been texting his wife's phone for years, like three years. And then at some point he texts the number and it's been given to a new person. And the heroine is this person, this new person. But um, what I really, so, but he's given, you know, his, his, he had, you know, this immense tragedy in his life. And then he kind of goes off the grid and then he's, and he's given up hockey, but then he finds this like new identity as like a kid's hockey coach. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is, there's also a great moment in Ted Lasso where we see Roy Kent crack open a little bit with children like i think yes. this is another ro- real romance hero moment yes where he goes to the school with his niece like really cool you he do says, this i'm doing my fucking niece guys eh? roy kent is not a cinnamon roll right roy kent is more like no roy kent bowl, is a right? stern brunch daddy right <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't call him a stern oh brunch by daddy. the way yeah you don't think so i mean i don't know we're not gonna do that without andy so. okay <laughs> yeah, no. I think he's like an alpha kind of in some ways, right? Yeah. Like he's, although I guess, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. But I think the idea that he does go to yoga, he's sort of impenetrable. <laughs> he does, well, he's secretly, I mean, 
<laughs> I'm like, we're circular right now. But, you know, the thing, the reason that his relationship with his niece is really important to us Ugh. as, like, romance readers from the beginning of is we know exactly what that signals, right? Like, soccer, you know, football player with the heart of gold, essentially. You have, this is the thing, if you have, like, a rough, like, gruff, grumpy hero, there are a few ways that you can immediately shorthand that this man is not going to murder you in your sleep, right? And one of them is, look how good he is with kids. Sure. But I think it's really key. I mean, one of the things that is so great about the writing of the show in general is how often characters are sort of like foils for each other in the similar episode. So this episode where we first see Roy with his niece and realize kind of like what a softy he is, is the same scene where Ted is out with the reporter right? Yeah. And the reporter is sort of, like, thinking, like, this idiot, (laughs) you know, just, like, this dummy. And instead, we see that, like, Ted actually has some steel in him, right? That there's actually more to him than just this, like, fluffy, Midwestern, good old boy charm. And so I think that that's, like, one of the things that's so great about the show is you can always sort of tell what's going on with one character by like these kind of constant ups and downs, right? Mm-hmm. Like whatever is happening with the other kind of A or B plot in that episode is often a reflection of what's going on with the other one. So, you know, we, us seeing the real inside of Roy is happening at the same time we're seeing kind of the yeah. real inside of Ted, right? I mean, episode three is really an episode that is about Roy. It's yes. it's really remarkable because He's not necessarily on screen the whole... I mean, he's not on the screen the whole time, and you wouldn't necessarily know that this episode is really about Roy, but um, it begins... That's the episode that begins with... Well, first of all, it's the episode that begins with the gifts of the books. Right. Right? Um, And, I mean, my gosh... Could I mean, we love I, that more? No, Sarah, we could not. It's so perfect, and I want Ted... Hello, if you work for Ted Lasso and you're listening to our little podcast, um, I really want your Twitter feed to please tweet what books got given to everyone on the <laughs> right. whole team, please. That's <laughs> right. all... Like, uh, frankly, Is everybody... Is that too much in, to ask? Every reader wants to know, like... What did everybody You know what get? we're going to do? I'm going to call I'm going to call our shot right here. We are going to do a Twitter th- a, in honor of Ted Lasso season 2, we will recommend a romance to everyone in the Ted Lasso cast. Not the ah. their characters. Not perfect. Their, not right. like Jason If you Sudeikis. love Ted, you should read No, we'll I want there. Ted to read this. <laughs> this is the guy's doing <laughs> oh, Ted Lasso a romance so what would I give cute. him? If I were Oh my gosh. That's Oh my gosh. Now I want to do a whole episode on that. Anyway, but we're not going to do that right now. Um, okay. So, anyway, so everybody gets the book. And and obviously, Roy gets A Wrinkle in Time, which is a story about, it's like, as as Trent Krim from the Independent, from independent. Says, says. It's a lovely novel. It's the story of a young girl's struggle with the burden of leadership. She journeys through space. What I want to say here about this episode being about Roy is that this is also the episode where he notices that Jamie and his crew are bullying Nate. And he goes to Ted as the coach of the team and says, because he's Roy's team captain, right? Right. Act like it, jerk. Um, he He goes to Roy and he says, aren't you going to stop it? I'm sorry, he goes to Ted and he says, right. I'm, aren't you going to stop it? And Ted says, no. And then he leaves. The He's furious and he leaves yes. the office and Coach Beard says, Why are you winding him up? He's the one, Coach. 
We're going to make an impact here. First domino needs to fall right inside that man's heart. I mean, like, we're told it's there. That's plant. It's planted there. Roy is our hero. This is the episode where we get the setup for Roy and Keeley. Yes. Right? In the parking so, lot. Yes, because there's some really <laughs> delightful... There's oh, a couple, banter. There's some great banter. Well, there's a couple great things. One is she's teasing him about basically, like, aren't you the <laughs> one who let your date, like, steal your, like, Rolex or something, right? <laughs> and he says, I don't need a phone and a watch. Like, he's just this good guy who's, like, not going to turn someone in for stealing his multi-thousand-dollar watch, right? But the whole part, too, where we see... Her as being a really good match for him because she is the one who is constantly reminding him that I'm Roy Kent and I get paid to play a game, but I'm mad all the time. (sighs) (laughs) And the perfect mo that that is such a perfect moment because it sets Keely up as the only one for him. Like, she sees Roy. I mean, Ted sees Roy, too. But she sees Roy so clearly as, like, not the superstar. Like, not... Right. She's like, you're just a dude, guy. Just like all these other dudes are just dudes. And I'm gonna push your buttons. She sees him as a person. Ted sees him as the key to unlocking the team. And they're both right. And that's the part that's so amazing about Roy's arc as well, is he is like both and, right? He's both holding the team together and this amazing force for sort of what Ted wants to accomplish with the team. But he is also discovering who he is without that. And to have those things happening simultaneously is a pretty slick piece of writing. And I think one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to Roy and his story in the in in the series, right? Yeah. But this episode is pretty perfect. Yeah. If you're trying to figure out how to unlock an alpha and how to write it where in a way where the alpha himself does not unlock right like right. he is manipulated the entire time by these other people who read him better than he reads himself and let's be honest if you are a writer out there and you are writing like a heavy alpha in romance yeah. you are writing this story you are writing a character who cannot see himself for right. the trees right right so Episode three of Ted Lasso season one is a perfect, perfect writing lesson for you. It is pri- like it is a text you should study. Yes. and I mean truthfully, when what we're doing here is we're flipping the whole the whole show like inside out, right? Like right. The the like I said before, the a plot is Ted and Rebecca and the football. But the reality is, is that what we're saying is like if you turn the entire episode upside down and you set Roy Kent's arc as the a plot, right? You're reading a romance novel. Yes, you are. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like that's why, I, and I agree with you. Like, and if you think about it, right? Like, it's a classic arc in the sense that. You know, in romance, we get these turning points. Those turning points can be one, in my opinion, one of two things. 
one where a character sees another character in a new way or they connect in a new way. But it can also be the one where we as the consumer, we as the reader or the watcher in this case, see the character in a new way or what they're really capable of, right? And that's why this episode is so important because Keeley is showing Roy who he is capable of being or just kind of like, I don't know, stripping away the like, it's so serious to be a soccer player part, a football player, right? We see that Ted knows that he's really important to the team, but like we as viewers, when he walks away holding Phoebe's hand, we are like, oh, Uh, I don't even like kids in romance. And here we are. But you know what I would argue in this case, it being a television show, there's going to be, Roy is on screen in limited ways. Yeah. So he's on screen on the pitch or with the team. He's on screen with Keely. So it's a pretty smart way of introducing, like, softness. Humanity. Yeah, Yeah, that's really organic. That in a romance novel, you could just show, I mean, here's the thing, like, We've talked about this when we talked about Bridgerton. The thing that is really hard about taking a romance novel and putting it on screen is romance is really about people's thoughts and feelings. It's internal. We linked this in show notes when we did the Bridgerton episode. Yeah. Or the Julia Quinn episode. I can't remember. Some episode that we did this for. But the showrunner for Outlander has said, and I think this is so smart, it's like romance is really internal, so the struggle with. Right, is is how do you do this? How do you visualize a thought? So all these things happen for Roy in this one episode. Mm -hmm. And it all kind of unlocks him for us as the reader, or the watcher, I guess, right? For Keeley as a potential love interest, and for Ted as his coach. We see all of these ways in which Roy can just slot right in to this, like, here's our real, like, the real heart and soul of the team. And once Ted recognizes it, we do too. The other thing I just think is important, I know we're not going to talk about Rebecca a whole lot, but which only because then we'd be on for 1,800 hours. Because we love her so much. It's almost like I can't. It's too much. I don't want to. She's just, uh, she's an Adriana Herrera heroine. She's amazing. Adriana, I want her delicious book. But one of my (laughs) other favorite parts of this is uh, Rebecca also knows you have to figure out who the leader is, right? And she says to Higgins, Who's who's the guy? And Higgins like, I don't know. And the fact that they don't know is what allows Ted to essentially, like, get to Roy first, right? Yep. yep. Win him over. Beginning of the season, there's just no—Roy would never. I mean, right. that's the other thing that makes him a hero, right? Like, from the start, it's Richmond first. It's yes. team first. Team there's first. that great moment in um, episode four where— Sam gets knocked down and then yes. there's like a lot a meal gets made on the field and there's like a back and forth between you know Roy and Jamie and then Roy reaches down to help him up to help Sam up and Sam's like I don't even hurt anymore like I don't and he's like no listen I'm gonna pull you up I'm gonna pretend to limp very badly in a gesture like you think you can bravely go on they'll love it Oh, okay. So there's just this constant sense with Roy that, like, team first, team first. And when then we learn then there's the episode where they think that the the um, the rehab room is, is haunted. 
<laughs> so Ted decides, like, he calls us group meeting at the pub. Yes. And then they decide they're going to, you know, unhaunt the... <laughs> They're going to exercise all the demons from the rehab room, and so they all have to sacrifice something that's important. Yeah. And that's when we see Roy's backstory. I mean, yes, honest to God, Jen, it's beat for beat a romance novel, right? That comes later in the series. Like, right. that comes at, like, it's like the start of the third act of the whole series when we see him, like, throw the blanket that his grandfather gave him i was nine when i got scouted by sunderland and uh i'd never left london before my granddad drove me all the way there and it was freezing and i was terrified (laughs) (laughs) i was fucking nine say something when i got there he gave me this old blanket he said it was to keep me warm and to remind me of home and that was the last time I saw him because he'd uh, passed away by the time I got back for Christmas. So. Poor, sad Roy who needs love. When we talk about romance novels, our favorites are ones where especially male characters have to unpack the way the patriarchy is working on them. And there's, like, to me, the whole scene where they have to, like, you know, de-ghost the room or whatever it is, Right. Um, they have, it's witched in there, Sarah. <laughs> to go talk about it. It's witched. Talk it's about witched. a season. Oh, look at us! It's a deep, cut. very deep. I'll put a link if you're like, what are they talking about? Um, is <laughs> that idea that like superstition that there's like things that are working on these like men that they don't understand, but they are very afraid of messing with. That to me yeah. is like it's like the specter of toxic masculinity hangs over them, right? And when you think about sure. the things that they throw into the fire, <laughs> it's like a lot of it it really represents th- those things that are like one guy's like these are the keys to my Lamborghini or whatever. It's right like <laughs> like the things I thought I was supposed to value, you know, like my the you know, these soccer shoes my mom got me, football cleats, whatever they're called. So I think that a lot of that for Roy to go first and to take it seriously, because remember, he's the leader. If he, at that moment, had played it for laughs, it doesn't work, Mm-mm. right? It doesn't work. He has to go first, and he's the one that sets the tone for, we're doing this, and we're taking it seriously, and this is going to change who the team is. It's like this real moment where we see his leadership and we understand that leadership isn't necessarily about logic and reason. It's about like making that emotional connection and taking people in the direction they need to go. I mean, I think that that is the team, his place in the team is so critical from the very start. I mean, the first second, the first thing we ever hear Roy do is shut the team up, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Ted has just arrived. It's episode one. Um, it is uh, 12 minutes and 34 seconds in. And Ted is doing, is just bombing at a press conference, right? Like, right. he's been, Rebecca's trying to trash him. He, she throws him into a room. He's bombing at a press conference. And this is the first glimpse England gets at him. It's the first glimpse Richmond sees of him. And it's the first glimpse the team sees of him. And the team is sort of like, 
teeming in the back. Yeah, like they're just right. like kind of like all busy. And Roy is standing there focused on the the television screens. And he says, if I don't hear silence, I'm going to start punching dicks. And that's <laughs> his verse. And then the whole room just goes, shoop, right, silent. Yeah. But Ted sees it right away, right? That's also right. the episode where um, at 23 minutes in, Ted says, wait till we win him over. Because he's like, you know, be pure so grump. Right. And then Beard says he'll be so furious, right? Right. And we know, right? We know that Roy's story is going to be one of leadership at that moment. And then comes Keeley. And that's when Jen and Sarah's little hearts sing. Yes. Well, obviously. <laughs> I think one of the things that's really interesting, too, is Ted has a very clear, like, professional and personal arc. Beard has a little one, like, with this, like, woman he's romancing over chess. But the only other person who has such a clear, like, two twofer, right, is Roy. His professional journey through the, the season and also his personal journey through the season. And Keely well, is and right. And Re- well, and Rebecca, but I'm, yeah, I, yeah. obviously Rebecca's. Listen. We love her. We'll just keep saying that. Anytime we say Rebecca, we just say <sighs> we love her. Yeah, I love her. <laughs> like, it's just so like, almost like I don't want to talk about her because I'm not sure I'm worthy. Right. Is okay. Rebecca a romance hero? Yes. She's amazing. <laughs> she can do whatever she wants. Give it time. So Roy, though, right, so the arrival of Keeley is one that's really interesting because she's closer to his age. She's kind of, like, semi-famous, a a model, clearly super smart and doesn't put up with anybody's nonsense. But also, she's dating his enemy, Jamie Tart. So not only could he, like, never get with someone who he thinks... You know what I mean? It's just like it could never happen. We just see that it could never happen. And I think the thing that changes it is the episode where Keeley's really pissed at Jamie, right, at the auction. And in order to sort of make him jealous, she bids on Roy. And at the end of the episode, Roy comes <laughs> storming Roy. up to her and is like, Hey, do me a favor. Don't use me as a prop in your little fights. Make me feel like an idiot. And instead of ignoring him or instead of just, like, laughing it off, she understands why he feels that way. I'm sorry. I I shouldn't have done that. And you can tell Jamie is so, so such a child in his, like, emotional, like, the way he understands things. And he doesn't even know what's happening. Yeah, he can't even see it happening in the moment. But we understand, like, immediately what's going to happen between these two if we didn't get it back in episode three. Well, I mean, in episode three, look, (laughs) we got the end of episode three, Roy walks into some, like, club where he looks absolutely completely out of place. He walks immediately into the VIP section, walks right up to Jamie, tells him to stop messing with Nate, criticizes vanilla vodka, which, I mean, sure, well, well said, and then gives us... The greatest line in the entire series, where he says, Kaylee. That's all I need, really. And she says, Roy. (laughs) And you're just like, 
like, sex is on. Oh, yeah, completely. <laughs> and I think that that's the part, though. So back to, like, is Roy Kent a romance hero? The thing that I... Mm, yeah. Obviously, yeah. You guys listen to answers, yes. <laughs> the thing that I also found really awesome about this is then in... Um, when they go to Liverpool for a game in episode seven. It's Everton, I guess, but whatever. And, you know, this is like a really emotional, again, like a big up and down between Ted and Rebecca kind of episode. This is the episode, everyone, where it's the anniversary of Rebecca's divorce and Ted also is signing Signing papers. papers. And um, Keely, essentially, they all go to karaoke. They have this amazing win. You know, of course, they've debugged the weight room or whatever and so now they can win and um keely leaves with with roy right and we are i mean look these are beautiful young people who are beautiful and they probably have great sex and so you know he walks her to her room and you can tell she's gonna invite him in and he just kisses her and leaves and in it's <laughs> deeply romantic but you can tell she's like wait what What's just happening happened? why didn't he stay I gave him all the stay signals. She, like, checks to see if she has bad breath. Gosh. Oh, poor Keely. Roy. Roy. Of course he does it because he doesn't want her to feel like he's using her. Well, and that is why. I love him so much. Right? I would say, like, the peak of the emotional arc in that personal one-on-one arc in a lot of ways is the next episode, the Diamond Uh, Dogs episode, which uh, is probably one of my favorites. Where he says... A line that is, I mean, like, basically, we could have just narrowed this all down to, is Roy Kenton a romance hero? And then talked about one line of episode eight, and that would have been it. It would have been a 10-minute episode. Some people are hoping, are wishing that we had done that. (laughs) But No, they're not. It's amazing. No, they're not. So (laughs) this is the episode where they get back, and Roy has gone, is going through it, because, um... She had, uh, she thought that he was like not not into interested, her. and in, so right. he, and Jamie showed up, and so she had sex with Jamie, and then yeah. she tells him, she tells Roy, like she does I, tell him, I did this, and he goes McGreeve brain. He has mm. static brain. He does. There's a lot of grunting. Yes, and, and then he and has stomping. to go to the Diamond Dogs. <laughs> Explain the Diamond Dogs. I mean, this look. If remember how I said uh, you could flip the whole show on its head, and then you were yeah. reading romance novel, the Diamond Dogs are proof of. I mean, that is my absolutely right. Exhibit so A through Z is the. So Diamond the Dogs. Diamond Dogs are first, I guess, assembled by Ted. It's Higgins, Beard, Nate, and Ted talking about Ted's feelings, right? And then they joke about like what he should call this group. And you know, I think Roy first comes in and is basically like, "Whatever's going on here, I don't want any of it." <laughs> <laughs> He does need advice later, you know, the good old diamond dogs to the rescue. And then he goes there and he's like, Keely has a sexual past. I mean, this is the scene where Ted says everything and then Nate's constantly like, oh, I love it when he says the thing, but that's the opposite of what he means. It's so laugh out loud funny. The writing is perfect. And then Roy Kent says, I can't control my feelings. I can't control control my feelings. (laughs) Mike, I have it right here. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, is I also, like, here I am writing, like, are the Ted Lasso writers faded mates listeners? (laughs) 
seriously. They've got it down pat. Exactly. <laughs> well, so let's talk about why, right? Why I can't control my feelings, right? Like, a big, in romance, right? A really big journey, often, for men um, is understanding their own feelings because the weight of the patriarchy, right? The way it punishes men is like too many feelings. Mm -hmm. And so when he says that, and, you know, Ted says, grow up and get over it. It's this moment where Roy has to decide now, Mm -hmm. can I get past this? Even though I, my brain knows that this is not logical. And it's like a super double (laughs) standard. Yes. All that. He knows all that. He doesn't realize why she just didn't intuit his intentions, right? (laughs) Why didn't you just know what I was thinking? And I think that that's, like, a really important part of that Diamond Dogs is we have to talk about this, and we have to talk about it together so we can all figure it out and be better, right? Yeah, yeah. And the writing here is so perfect because this episode, this is episode eight, but in episode seven, that's the episode where um where Nate tells everyone gives the speech to all the players about yes so Nate is the kit man at the start of the of the season but over the course of the season he like helps Ted and he's smart and he's clearly the brilliant team, about right. football and so he um he become they promote him right they're or they're they're sort of moving toward the sense of like Nate is going to become a part of the coaching staff and he tell he leaves um Ted a note much like I assume that email that came from Brett Goldstein (laughs) that says, like, here are all the things that I think you should say to the players. And then Ted says, you say them. So he, you know, tells, he just drags them. I mean, like, one right out. It's it's just a crime scene, the whole speech. And he says to to, um, Roy Kent. The great Roy Kent. You're old now. And slow. And your focus drifts. But your speed and your smarts were never what made you who you are. It's your anger. That's your superpower. That's what made you one of the best midfielders in the history of this league. But I haven't seen it on the pitch at all this season, Roy. I mean, you used to run like you were angry at the grass. And you'd kick the ball like you'd got it fucking your wife, Christ's sake. But that anger doesn't come out anymore when you play. But it's still in there. And I'm afraid of what it's going to do to you if you just keep it all for yourself. And so this sense of, and then Roy, it's like Roy comes back online, right? It's like that speech from Nate is also about like, you're not feeling feelings anymore. It's like, as he's aged, he's gotten tired of like the game you know, capital G game, like this kind of sense of where he sits in the world. This reminded me a little bit of that Naima Simone book that I love so much, right? Scoring off the field, which yes. is where the hero, like he's so consumed by f- American football, that right. hero, that like he's left aside, he's left all these other pieces like by the wayside, yes. including his best friend, you know, that that book is Friends to Lovers. But there's, and it, it makes me think that Roy Kent has done, he was this, right? Like, he was right. Jamie Tart at the beginning, and there was nothing for him but, you know, anger at the grass, anger at the game, and, like, right. the game, yes. small g. Right. 
And now he's older and his fe- he's like had to suppress all of those feelings because he doesn't have the like same passion or the same, you know, fury or this, you know, he's not, you know, what is that German word? Like Sturmendrang? Is that a word? Oh, yeah. Right. Sure. Am I... I probably said that absolutely wrong and someone's going to tweet me, but that's fine. You should. <laughs> anyway, he doesn't, he just didn't have it anymore. And so Nate kind of like summons it. Right. And, and then he, and, <laughs> he, he, I mean, pure alpha. I mean, sure. like, you guys, listen. Roy Kent flips, rips that bench out of the walls. <laughs> And my pants flew right off my body. (laughs) Obviously, right? Obviously. So, I mean, it's just, that's what I want. I want every hero to be furious to the level of, like, ripping things out of the bolts in the wall. And so, it's almost like soccer, like, Nate and football and the game and the team and all the things are kind of coming together for him. And they're all unlocking one after another. And then his feelings just, like, boom. (laughs) are back online. Right. And then episode eight, I can't control my feelings. Like, he's just, he's, he's just firing on all cylinders and it's too much for him. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Well, I think the other thing that's like really fascinating then about that is we, I think in typically in these types of, like in like sort of the sports romance, we often get In a sports romance, the rise and fall of the team is often not really actually that big of a part of it, right? Like, romance readers don't really care if the team wins. No, well, Susan said that, right? Yes. Susan was like, I think I've only ever written, like, one One football football scene. And it's true. That's in It Had to Be You, everyone. Right. We listen to all these sports romances that I've read, and very, very little, very few of them actually take place at a game or, like, a Super Bowl or the Olympics. You know, it's always about, like, sort of the human drama that gets people to that level, not the actual game itself. So it's really interesting, though, because that cannot be true on a television show, and it's not true for Roy. No. It's a really big part of his character. Because Roy can't control his feelings anymore, and that is because he is, he knows he's at the end. Yes. You know, when you're young, anger comes with, like, arrogance and, like, belief, pure, undistilled belief in yourself. Right. When you're old, and I mean, again, he's not that old, but like... Old for Premier League football, yeah. 10 years in, 12 years into your career, anger comes with like fear and... Rejection and failure, right? And concern about what comes next. Like, I know I can't... I have to sit in a garbage can full of ice water. (laughs) My knee hurts all the time. Right. I'm not long for this. Right. So what comes next? So all the, by letting in any feelings, he also has has to to let let them all in. Right. Exactly. And that's the part that I think is. So good. So good. Right. We get to see him experiencing all these things. No, but then there's that scene with Keely. He goes back to her right after stomping off and grunting and she is in the press room. And this is, by the way. (laughs) Such a brilliant scene. How did it feel for you as a writer? Like, were you just, like, amazed at this scene? Oh, my God. She's, when she's moving all around, and she's like, Keely Jones. Keely Jones, the independent woman. 
<laughs> Keely Jones, independent woman online. <laughs> Keely Jones, independent woman weekend. Yeah, <laughs> Sunday edition, Sunday insert. Charming as F. As all get out. No, it's yes. perfect. And then he has, he's like, she's asking him questions and he's telling her the truth. Right. And like, when has Roy Kent told the truth? About his feelings. 12 years about his feelings. Never. Or possibly ever. Right. Since he got that blanket from his grandfather. Probably. Exactly. You know, but he like, burned that. It's gone now. So. Well, he exercised those feeling demons. And now <laughs> they're all here. Every, all, every feeling's here. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so this whole, like, play acting, right, in this charming, moment. Charming, charming, Allows him to admit this like a lot of his truths to her in this episode. And the one thing she's kind of like, how can you, can you really do this? I'm not going to get involved with you if you can't get past it. And he says, because I like you more than I hate him. And that's the moment where you're like, as it should be, you have to get over it. And now he's going to move past that. And, you know, he tells her about yoga, (laughs) his yoga buddies, you know, these 60 year old ladies that he hangs out with. And it's all amazing. First of all, I want to shout out Juno Temple, who is the actress who plays Keely, and she's just yeah. magnificent. Like, I want to say her name because she is more than Keely and yeah. she's fabulous. Then there's the moment where he's at Keely's. I don't know if they're at Keely's or they're at Roy's, but with his niece. Yeah, but before we get there, I think we have to talk about what causes that. So he he gets Keely, right? Like, in sort of everything's looking up for Roy. Oh, yeah. And then. We are brought low by the fact that he is now, he's going to be benched, right? Because he's just too slow and he's not playing well. And this is also, I mean, we haven't talked a whole lot about like Ted and Beard, but this is one of my favorite scenes in the show is, um, you know, essentially Ted cannot bring himself to bench Roy. He just can't do it. And Beard sort of snaps at him and is like, I was with you on this, like, winning doesn't matter, but winning does matter. And these are not kids. They're professionals. You cannot, you have to do your job as the coach and bench him. And this is, I think it's important for us to see how heartbreaking that is kind of for everyone, right? And and it's a real dilemma because essentially Roy is given the opportunity to say he's injured, to, like, essentially, like, bench himself in a way that's going to make it a little more palatable rather than literally going to the second string. And I think that's a really important moment also for Roy because he goes, you know, essentially, if you're um, on the second string when you're scrimmaging each other, you wear, like, pennies, right? Those, like, and he pulls one on, and he's like, you know, the second mm-hmm. string's gonna kick your ass today. But it's this moment where we see, like, Roy, his love of the game is more pure than his, like, need to be proud. And, like, he's he would rather sit on the bench with his team than not, essentially. Team first, right? right? Team, team first. first. It's a wrinkle in time. It's yes. leadership. Sometimes, right. to be a good leader, you have to take the back seat. And... I mean, there's also this whole piece where Ted is doing that too, right? right? Like right. he's leading from behind, which right. is incredibly difficult to do. Topping from the bottom, you might say. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> but then he gets to Keeley's house, right? He's yeah. really wrecked by it. And who yes. can blame him? Like, look, there are 
I imagine there are very few things in the world more soul-crushing than having been the best the in the world, superstar, yeah. best in the world athlete. Right. And then being literally replaced by yourself. Right. 15 years younger. Like, I mean, this feels like a lot. I, I'm fully on board. I believe every minute of this characterization. Yeah. So he goes to Keeley's, and he's basically, he says, even if he doesn't say it quite this way, he basically says, like, who am I? Right. If I'm not Roy Kent. If I'm not Roy right? Kent. And she turns to his niece, and she's, I need you to close your eyes for me, yeah? Okay. Can you describe your Uncle Roy? Everything that you can think of. Go. Well, he's my uncle. His beard is scratchy. He buys me ice cream. He swears a lot. He's really funny. And I love him. And, and it's, it's so sweet. None of it is about him as a football niece player. Doesn't care that he, you know, that he's Roy Kent with a fight song. <laughs> right, you know, he doesn't right. nobody like she doesn't care. He's just Uncle Roy. And lovable and wonderful. And like we all know, he's gonna be fine. Yeah. Roy Kemp better end up a... I mean, what are they going to do with him in season two? Are they going to make him a coach? They got to make him a coach, right? Oh, I don't know. I don't even want to think about it because I just want him to... He and Keely to live happily or after somewhere in a great London townhome. Is that too much to ask? Well, they have the money for it. It's fine. So the profile of Roy as a player, right, was really rooted in his, like, anger. Sometimes Keeley makes fun of it, but Nate points out it's what made him so strong. So another one of my really favorite parts is Ted tells him he has to pick his own replacement as captain. And he picks Isaac, and he says to him, he says, essentially, like, never stop throwing televisions at walls. Right, because <laughs> he picks Anchor. He picks somebody who has, who has it. The fire. It's never stop breaking TVs, and it's somewhere in episode ten. And I think that that's the thing. Like Roy does still get to determine the future of the team and the kind of leadership that he values because the person he picks isn't. I mean, Isaac's been a pretty quiet player. Yeah, his arc, Isaac's arc, is very subtle, very specific. Like, if you're watching on the... But it takes you the second or third watch to, like, notice what's happening with him. Because he starts out a bully. He's in... Yeah. He's in Jamie's, like, crew. And then at one point he invites... He's the reason why Roy knows they're all at the club. Like, he invites Roy to to the club. Again, like, kind of captaining. Like, bringing in... Inviting everyone. Bringing everything in. And then he's next to Roy when they're watching him. Um, oh, the Iron movie? Giant. The Iron Giant. I mean, so, like, there are, you see Isaac yeah. move from Jamie, kind of evolve into Roy's style of leadership. Right. And then Roy picks him, right? Because ultimately, then Isaac rips the TV off the wall when he sees Jamie just yes. throw them all under the bus. Like, suddenly, Isaac has, like, he's come around from believing in, like, the hot shot soccer player to, like, understanding that there's something bigger at play. Right. And we get one of the things I really like, I'm going to make, a, like, a small digression here, because one of the things I really noticed on the second play or the second watch is obviously, like, Ted's ethos as a coach is 
Uh, one of the things he loves about coaching is watching people become kind of who they're supposed to become. And we see in this second watch how much the people that surround you influence that. And so, like, the whole arc you just outlined for Isaac, like, the influence that Keely has on Roy, like, this is a deeply human show. Like, right, when, like, we say that something's deeply human, that's what I mean, right? And the way these, like, kind people inspire Rebecca. I mean, yes, we love Rebecca. We love Rebecca. (laughs) But there's this, like, you know, Rebecca could easily have been this, like, kind of gross archetype, right? Right. But instead, what Rebecca is about, this whole this whole show is about community. Yes. And one of the things that I've been thinking about related to this is um, this year was really hard. Like yeah. this, the last 18 months have been really hard. And one of the things that kind of keeps popping up in romance novels that now that I've seen written over the last, in, in my own too, I mean, we'll talk about Bombshell yes. in a few weeks, but, um, you know, in my own in that book too, there's there's this very real sense of like us all kind of seeking out community yes. in these books. Like communities written there, it's it's written into the DNA of a lot of these books. And this talk about a show that that is beat for beat the heroine's journey. Yeah. Ted Lasso for every character. It's the heroine's journey. Except for, and this is what I was really fascinated by, is her terrible dirtbag ex, Ugh, Rupert. The worst. Right? Rupert Mannion, Robert Mannion, and Rupert. then, right, his young girlfriend who becomes his fiance slash wife, right? New the, Rebecca. New Rebecca. And I found myself really paying attention to her as sort of almost, like, remember, I've said earlier, all these characters have, like, a foil, right? Like, someone who's their opposite. And she is introduced as being, like, kind of Jamie's side piece. But by the end, it's really clear that she is going to continue on her arc of sort of terribleness because the only influence she has is Rupert. Whereas Jamie, because even though he is still this young hotshot, at the end, he passes, right? The influence of Ted was really strong on him. And even though it's, it's, I think, clear to us, right, like what has happened, I also think it's really smart of of the uh, the char- you know the writers to show us like okay but here's this other character of the other Rebecca or you new Rebecca whatever young Rebecca and she is one who is I mean I found myself really watching the scene she was in like yeah. why are you putting up with this terrible but man who is terrible here's where I'm going to make a prediction because young Rebecca yes is pregnant at the end of the season and we know like there's a lot there you know there's I mean that's just horrible all of that is just horrible um but but she also owns all of the shares so they're in her name so I have hope for something amazing happening with young Rebecca yeah but I mean that but that's the part that like I really found myself thinking like yeah there's all these positive influences but I think there's also honesty. And again, we're going to talk about our Rebecca, right? When she is so heartbroken about the divorce on her anniversary Mm. and her best friend is with her and she's sort of like doing this, like, he just was so terrible to me. And her friend is like, he was, and you were with him every step of the way. 
right? This is not a show where falling under the influence of a wrong person absolves you of your responsibility for your own Mm -hmm. self. And I think that that's why this show is so deeply validating, right? Like being good will be rewarded, not necessarily with wins, but with your community. Everyone gets a second chance, right? Like if you really want to change, you get like, it's okay. Like Jamie Tart is terrible. And then like at the end, you're like, Jamie's not the worst. He made the pass, right? He made the pass. He learned the thing. And I just think there's something really remarkable and hopeful about a show. And I think this is how romance feels too in many ways. Like, There's something hopeful about a show or a book or a piece of media where characters are so nuanced that, like, they get a second chance sometimes. Yes, right. And I think this show is a show about second chances for— Agree. I mean, like, for everyone from Ted down the line. And I I love it a whole lot. Well, I want (laughs) to talk—I mean, we have to talk about episode 10. Yeah. Because if Roy Kent is a romance hero— his ending, right, is potentially the real ending of his act, his professional career. And we all knew it was coming. It was just going to be a matter of how. And he has some real moments of glory on the pitch in the season, but he, um, he falls. And he, you know, there's this talk in the announcer's booth. They, like, sort of pull back to the announcer's booth of this moment. And, um we see Roy, like, sort of get up, and he's going to, like, hop off. And what they say is, Roy Kent will never be taken out on a stretcher. No. But when he is in the locker room by himself. I know. And Keely comes in. And he tries to get rid of her, right? Because he can't feel, he cannot (laughs) control his feelings, Jen. I know. He's like, you can't, you can't. You have to get out of here. And she knows that he needs her and she just goes in there and it is one of the most tender and beautiful moments Ugh, of so any good. romance ever where he it's just leans so on her good and you know he she's the only person he'll let see it you know there's also that great moment i don't think it's i think it's in episode 9 although it could be episode 10 where he hits believe um, he's mm-hmm. the last one. I think it's episode 10, actually, where everybody's out of the everybody leaves the locker room and he has he goes and he like hits the believe sign that Ted hung up in episode one. And it's a real clear eyes, full hearts can't lose moment for those of yep. you who are Friday Night Lights fans like me. But like mm-hmm. there are a couple of moments actually in this show that where I was like, oh, I think that's an homage to Friday Night Lights. Like there are, like, a, li- a couple little moments that I loved. Um, but also maybe not. Maybe just, like, archetypal sports moments. But there's also something really magnificent. Is Roy Kent a romance hero? Is Ted Lasso a romance? Where it was really incredibly smart to make, to give Keely a job. Yes. In, with the team, right? Because everything stays, this is, so when I talk, when we talk about romance writing, right, we talk about, you know, how do you write we talked about this when we did the romantic suspense episode, when we mm-hmm. talked about Whiteout, for example. Like, the trick with right, the hard thing about writing romantic suspense or romantic comedy. Yes, or romantic anything. Or historical romance is that you have to write, or fantasy, you have to be able to write the romance as the A plot, and then everything else has to feed 
right. the, the romance, right? Ted Lasso is not written as a romance. So the A plot is this football plot. The team, right. But giving Keely a job with the team yeah. makes it possible for Roy and Keely's romance to feed the A plot of the story. Right. So right. you are never taken out of this universe of the team. Okay, so this is like this ultimate perfect romantic moment between the two of them. But I think there's also the romance of the team. Yeah. And, right, they lose. And Ted gives this amazing speech in the locker room. And it's basically, you know, we lost and it's a terrible feeling, but we can feel it together. Mm -hmm. And the team bands together and has each other in this moment. And I think that that's like the real romance. I mean, you know, these sports stories are deeply romantic in that way, right? Mm -hmm. It's about... The victory isn't the win or loss. It's it's that sense of what you did or tried to do or achieved or didn't together. And it's pretty great. Even when they do lose, it feels like they haven't really lost because they have each other. And that's the whole ball game, right? I or think whatever. that's the whole, the whole ball game. Football match. <laughs> it's really easy for us to say that it's all, it doesn't matter. They didn't win because our team didn't get relegated, which apparently is a very bad thing to have happen. <laughs> And let me tell you, we're going to hear all about it. Coming up next. Because we have a special guest. I'm so delighted. I got to meet Jen's brother today. Yay. Um, Jen's brother, Eric, who joins us to talk about sports and television and storytelling and whether or not Ted Lasso actually isn't a romance or a sports show, but possibly something else. And we're going to cut right to that right now. Thank you all so much for listening. My brother's here. It's amazing. It's so exciting. <laughs> hey, everybody. There are two of you. <laughs> there are actually three of us, but uh, we'll only subject you to one of us at a time. <laughs> this is my brother, Eric, everybody. And the reason we're having him on today is because you just heard us talk a lot about how Roy Kent and the arc of the show is like a romance, but... I think in all honesty, it's for many people like a sports show, right? Like, does it, and there's a lot of movies and television shows about sports teams. And so, one of the things I was really interested to talk to with Eric about, who is a huge football, soccer fan, Liverpool, right? Um, is like, how does, how do these characters like kind of go against or fulfill like typical archetypes of shows like this or stories like this? Um, and I think no one is better at that than my brother, who is a um, a soccer fan. But also, like, I think really, like, I remember growing up, like, we watched a lot of these movies and stuff, right? Yeah, I just want to say, like, maybe we should just, can we just take a step back before we get into, like, the nitty gritty on Ted Lasso? Like, Eric, could you, obviously, I would really like if you'd tell some embarrassing stories about Jen, but we can, you know, do that later. Um, the, but... Could you talk a little bit about how your relationship with sports in general? Are you just a football fan, like a, a European football fan? Like, tell us about your your life with sports. Well, as Jennifer would tell you, uh, it's really all kinds of sports, all different kinds of sports, uh, whether it's football, American football, baseball, um, basketball, you name it. Um, you know, and one of the things um, that's great about sports is it usually creates a narrative or a story, you know, whether it's the story of the actual event itself, uh, 
the game or the competition mm-hmm. or oftentimes the stories of those involved uh, in those events um, that is that is literally real. And I think that's why sometimes so many of us gravitate towards sports, not just for the entertainment purposes, but for the narrative and for the story behind it. Um, and so I think Ted Lasso does a good job of that. Uh, although I will say, and I'm ready to challenge your thesis a little bit, I actually think this is less of a sports story and more of a workplace story, but we can talk about that. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. See? Yeah, already, see? already the family is yeah. happening. Yeah. That's right. I mean, Eric, here's the other thing, everybody. Eric is as big of a reader as me, but he is a nonfiction guy. You know, Eric really brings, like, it's not just that he, like, loves sports, like, right? Like, he also loves story, but, like, loves reading. And so I knew this would be, like, a really interesting, like, mashup to have him here talking about it. Like, and I'm kind of from a different angle, but I like this. It's a workplace story very much. This is a very good thesis. Let me just talk about that for a minute. Um, So by way of background, and you guys may have talked about it earlier um, in talking about Ted Lasso, but this character was created by Jason Sudeikis, obviously Saturday Night Live alumni, um, back in 2013 or 2014. And it was actually for a television commercial. It was when when NBC was... um, had gained the rights to broadcast the English Premier League. And so as a way to kind of both uh, advertise their broadcasts of those games, but also their new sports network, they had Sudeikis do this character, which had been long in his mind. And um, and his partner, I can't remember his name, but the guy who plays Coach Beard in the show, the two of them had been talking about this character for a long time. And so they did this. They did, they did a couple of different clips, almost like Saturday Night Live shorts, right, of Ted Lasso. And, and I will tell you, by the way, when they announced that the show was going to be made, I was like, ah, you know, how much can you make? How much can how you much make? How much can you do with this 30-second, yeah, right. like kind of doofus character right. almost? Right, and it's pretty one-dimensional. Um, but uh, when they decided they were going to make the show a few years after those advertisements, they got involved with a producer by the name of Bill Lawrence. And those of you who are TV fans may know that Bill Lawrence also made Spin City. And he made Scrubs, which I would say is one of the better comedies of the of the 21st century, both of which, by the way, are workplace comedies. And so there's a similarity there. I think it's anchored in sports and that makes it fun and appealing to guys like me. But but at its heart, it's a it's it's got a workplace comedy element to it with the ensemble cast. But anyway, I throw that out there for discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I really I. That makes a lot of sense to me because I think the one thing that sets Ted Lasso apart, and I, I really, I mean, I'm a huge, I don't know if you ever watched The League, Eric. I did. Um, I mean, I thought The League was just hilariously funny, and I was really, really into it when it was on, but it is not, is the anti-Ted Lasso. Like, it is a story about sports fans who are all generally terrible people <laughs> I mean, being terrible people together. Um, it's about fantasy football and it's incredibly funny, but um, there is a softness to Ted Lasso that comes, that is so surprising. I think when you come to a sports show, yep. um, although, you know, now that you've said that this is this, now that you've posited that it's actually a workplace show, it makes me think of Aaron Sorkin's Sports Night, too, which is such a workplace show, 
but framed in and and one of my favorite shows of all time. So I think this is really interesting. Um, I have a sort of big question about Ted Lasso sports wise, which is could the show exist with any other sport at the center of it? I think part of the appeal is sort of the fish out of water element of Ted being in a sport in a foreign country. And of course, that that leads to a lot of the setups and jokes, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And and that was the that was the way the original Ted Lasso shorts were created, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it I I, I do think it, it it could, but um, but I think it uniquely works here because it's a, it's a growing popular sport in the United States, but it is not an American sport. Yeah, and I, I think there's an appeal to it in that regard. Well. It's worth pointing out that right now we we've just come off the Euro Cup, right? Um, play and and I have a lot of uh, international people on my Twitter feed, and when things were ha- so, I was sort of watching the Euro through Twitter with my the people who I follow on Twitter were all just really gung ho about watching this international experience, having a common shared international experience. And I've been thinking a lot recently about how soccer, American, you know, European football, <laughs> football, mm-hmm. soccer, yeah, right. football, um, right. um, how soccer really isn't an American. We don't get in there. We don't get in there with the rest of the world. I mean, billion, literal billions of people watch this sport, and somehow we are, we Americans are separate from it. And I wonder, do you ever think about that? Feels weird to me on so many levels, but also kind of. Superiorly American. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's that's an interesting last point. Let me say a couple of things. I think historically, soccer has been seen that way, but I think things are changing here in the United mm-hmm. States. Um, you talk about the Euro twenty twenty tournament that just ended. The final between Italy and England drew an audience of about eight million viewers in the United States. That's higher than the viewership for the NBA Finals right now. So the sport, the sport is growing in popularity, and it is in part because of people like me, Uh, Jen. You remember this? We played soccer as kids. We were the first generation in the '70s and '80s to play soccer. While we're all grown up, we're adults. We have our own kids. We're consuming, and so soccer is growing as a sport in the United States. Um, And um, and I think. What is uniquely American is, is although we have our own league here in the United States, we want to see the best competition in the world. And that's why we're drawn to things like the World Cup and the Euros, even though we don't participate in it. That's interesting. I will say this is like a a weird, there's a, the Chicago Fire is our local soccer team. And I will say like one of the things I wonder is, or at least this was our experience when our son was younger, is it was a really affordable family outing, whereas, like, the Bears and the the Cubs are not. And so, like, the other thing, I, rem- I, like, remember how much fun we would have when we would go to Chicago Fire Games. Like, it feels really, like, kind of family-friendly, like, it's, ex- it's affordable. And I also wonder if there's not a way in which, like, these are... I don't know, it's like deeply democratic, right, to be like, have that appeal where you're like, you know, the three of us could go to a game and, you know, for a fraction of what it would cost for even one Bears ticket. And in addition to that, Jen, you have a sport that, A, 
doesn't cost a lot to play. Anybody can have a ball and a wall as a goal or a goal in a net, and you can run it out there. It's not like spending hundreds of dollars for hockey equipment. Um, and most parents now our age have the experience of having kids to play the sport. And so mm-hmm. the kids themselves may not play football. They may not play hockey. They may not play baseball, but they've all probably played soccer, even if it's in gym class. So mm-hmm. there's a relatability to it that, that I sort of think appeals to that small D democratic piece that you're talking about, Jen. There's also like a millennial, exennial, those of us who are, fall right there in that generational place remember that that World Cup team that had Alexi Lawless on it. <laughs> that is the, for some reason that name has right. lived somewhere in my brain for this whole my whole life, you know, but there was a moment in time, a sort of flashpoint moment where we were all aware of the World Cup because there was an American team that was doing so well. Um, But I will say New York City apparently has five professional soccer clubs and two that play in major league soccer, and I had never heard of these teams. So uh, the New York Red Bulls and New York City FC, but we have, you know, we're committed. We're going to take V to, you know. Yeah. Season soccer now. <laughs> there you go. It's it's interesting <laughs> you mentioned Alexi Lawless. One of the unique things about the American side of that era was not just that they were they were good enough to qualify for the World Cup, but the World Cup for the first time was played in the United States in the nineties. Oh, I think, that's why. And I think sure. that helped boost See, the popularity as well. So but you did you did yeah. talk, Jen, about the sort of common sports tropes and themes. Yeah, and, like archetypes, especially of like like kind of the players, it feels like that's something that when you watch one of these shows about a team, yep. yeah. it often feels like there's like the young hotshot and the like old guard and, you know, Ted Lasso, I think, traffics in some of those. And I was wondering if like when you were watching that felt familiar or if there were characters who stood out as being like kind of different. Well, I think that's one of the things that makes Ted Lasso so entertaining and appealing is you start with a lot of those archetypes for characters. You have the, you know, you have the hotshot young star, you have the grizzled ornery veteran, you have the newbie, you have the the evil owner trying to wreck the team. That sounds right out of Major League. Those of us who are from Cleveland remember that. But what's unique about Ted Lasso is, is over the course of the season, those archetypes are sort of, uh, uh, they're developed further. You get a deeper understanding of the characters, kind of blows them away. So you have the sort of, you have the angry female owner who threatens to ruin the team, but the, the, the show takes time to develop her backstory and why that is and what she's going through. Um, you know, likewise, uh, the grizzled veteran, uh, Roy Kent, which it sounds like you guys are talking about the relationship <laughs> with him and Keeley. We um, love you, Roy Kent. How could you not, right? <laughs> uh, my kind of guy. Uh, but, um, you know, you learn a little bit more about him. And and um, even the young hotshot, you know, I mean, that the, the story of, of uh, his need for attention is carried all through the episodes. And in fact, it's a key moment in the very last episode of the season. So um, what's great about Ted Lasso is it starts with those sort of sports stereotypes or typical tropes, um, but it kind of pushes through them by developing the characters deeper. And that's why you care about them. By the time Roy and Keely get together, it's the sixth or seventh episode. And you already feel like you know a little bit more about them and what they're about and what their backgrounds are. So you kind of root for them. Yeah, it feels like watching Ted Lasso gives you the opportunity to 
it gives you all the sort of dopamine hits of um, of celebrity gossip around sports teams <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> without feeling like a terrible person <laughs> for loving all those celebrity gossip stories around sports teams. Right. Well, I mean, I think uh, I think because they sort of skirt up to the line and make fun of and have fun with some of those those uh, stereotypes, but they really don't make them the sole side of the character that you see. Yeah. And I think that's what matters. I mean, you know, to me, what's really interesting, I was thinking about coming on is why was this show so popular? You know, I think part of it was what I mentioned earlier. It took a SNL short skit. And I think people were not expecting much and were pleasantly surprised at how much better and how well-developed the characters were and how much better the show was. But also it was the point in time in which the show was released. A it, thousand percent. It yes. was August of last year when this country was going through a lot of dramatic stuff, right? We were, you know, the p- pandemic was here in earnest. We had all um, the violence associated with the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. We had a... Um, We had a presidential election hanging over everybody's head. And so people were looking for a warm blanket of a TV show. And the the warmth and the earnestness of this of this show kind of reminds me also of Schitt's Creek, another show that became extremely popular in the last year. I think was because of the, the the heart at the center of it. And you see that with all the characters, but obviously certainly with Ted most of all. Okay, so obviously the threat of relegation is hanging over the team. And I think many Americans probably learned what relegation was from the show. I learned from you previously, so I felt kind of smart. One of the things I really wanted to, like, unpack is Ted's... I think one of the things I really liked about the show was, like, Ted's kind of fight with Beard at one point about the continual conversation about, like, sort of winning versus losing and what that meant. And how did... And we can spoil it. So, you know, people, we're assuming people who are listening have watched or, or you know, don't care about spoilers. So don't fit, you know, you can talk about it. But how do, how did you feel about their loss at the end? Like, did that feel typical or atypical of sort of like these sports stories in that way? Yeah, one of the unique things about European or South American football soccer as opposed to to, uh, football here in the States or or any other North American sport is is this structure of the leagues that allow teams to be demoted to lower divisions. It's analogous to if you're a baseball fan, if you finish as one of the three worst teams in the major leagues, you get demoted to AAA and the three best teams in AAA get promoted. It's a fundamental tenet of how sports is organized in other parts of the world. It's just different here where we have what we call closed leagues. Um, And so the drama associated with being relegated is very real. If you watch a Premier League game on the last weekend of the season, they're paying a lot of attention to who might win the league, also paying attention to who might finish in the top four because that allows you to play the next year in the European tournament. But they also pay attention to who might finish in the bottom three with just as much vigor and interest and drama. So so that part is very real. And, and while there were corny elements of the soccer story here, I mean, obviously no team's going to run an American football play. The drama... Right. The, 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 the trick play, right? right now, the trick play, though. Right. <laughs> There are trick plays and then there are trick plays. The the drama associated with being relegated and losing your spot in the Premier League is very real in the sport. 
And it means a lot financially for the club. It means a lot for prestige for the club. And it means a lot for the identity of the community that that club's situated in. Yeah, that's really interesting. So were you surprised, though, that they lost? Um, I mean, when you watched it the first time? Uh, mildly, um, you know, usually we're used to the, you know, the ragtag team of players overcoming the odds and, and figuring out how to, to rue the day. But um, I would say a couple things to that. Number one is a practical matter. I have read that they plan on having three seasons. So this is only act one of the story arc. Right, right. More importantly, and I think that's what makes Ted Lasso so enjoyable is the quality of the writing and the drama associated with it, um, that they just didn't give a happy ending, um, that there were, you know, it was almost a literary ending in a way, you know, that, um, that you had the former player scoring the game winning goal against your own team by making that extra, creating the goal by making the extra pass, something Ted had taught him Mm -hmm. and that caused his own team to be relegated. So I was mildly surprised, but pleasantly surprised because I thought it fit with the story. And, um, um, and uh, I think that's part of what's made Ted so enjoyable. Ted Lasso so enjoyable is the writing is so good that it, it doesn't immediately follow the stereotype. Right. Well, and then his speech where he's like, you lost, but you're not alone, is I think one of them. I mean, like sort of that, the locker room speech. We're going to be a sad couple, together. Yeah. Right. We're going to be sad together. There are a couple really good ones in the arc of the show. The one that Nate gives, right, where he tells you know Roy to be angry, to be angry at the grass. <laughs> that was my yes. favorite Roy Ken moment <laughs> ever. I I haven't watched all three seasons, obviously, but that's definitely my favorite Roy Ken moment. Yeah, yeah. And he rips <laughs> the bench off. When he rips the, wall. the bench and says, "Let's go kill these guys." I'm paraphrasing. Yep. Yeah, it was great. Well, and you know, first of all, right. Big locker room speeches are traditional sports tropes. Mm. But what's interesting here is, and it's consistent with the theme of the show, is that it's not all about the winning and losing. It's about the life lessons. It's about the togetherness. It's the heart at the center of the show that makes it not just a sports show. It's a it's a different kind of show set in a sports setting. That's what I really appreciated about it. Um, my favorite speech happens to be when uh, he was hustling the ex-donor uh, Uh, In the game of darts. (gasps) To me, that's my favorite scene in the entire first season, you know? Perfect. 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 But what's perfect about it is that is a microcosm of what the heart of the show is about and what Ted Lasso is about. And so um, there's an earnestness and straightforwardness to the show that I think people gravitated to sort of in these strange times. You know, television the last 20 years, in in many good ways, has been so much about the anti-hero, right? From Tony Soprano on forward. Um, It's nice to sometimes watch something earnest with heart at the center and and fulfilling in that regard. And and I think people are clamoring for that. And they found it in the show. And I did, too. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, yeah. I think that's a nice... That's a nice this is a nice to way end. to end. I'm like, hmm. although we didn't ask you about Jurgen Klopp. So oh God! Like wait, maybe... no, we have to talk about Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for your brunch, Daddy. <laughs> That's where we Amazing. end. <laughs> I know. Perfect. How? Well, tell us how Liverpool. I mean, where, yeah. Ta- okay. Let's give. Here's your chance to fan to fanboy a little about your club. Yeah, and tell I us don't about your boys. Know, your boys. Like, your Liverpool. Where is it? Is it like the 
like summer for Liverpool? I mean, like, right oh, where yeah, are we in the Premier we, League? Like, you know, if people are like, I love Ted Lasso, when can I watch Premier League soccer? Tell us about that. No, happy to. So obviously we had a couple of different summer tournaments going on. Um, you mentioned the Euro tournament. There was also the Copa America tournament, which is the tournament of South America. Uh, so that the, both of those just concluded. Um, we'll see some soccer at the Olympics, both men's and women's. But the Premier League will start up again in mid-August. So Liverpool will start their Premier League season then. They're actually just started training in the last few weeks. And How's Jurgen doing? How's you, <laughs> your, your guy's doing just fine. We, we had a, Is he grumpy? <laughs> I think he's happy. I, he was grumpy at times last year, and understandably so. We had a lot of guys hurt. We ended up finishing third, which is pretty heroic considering the injuries we had. But Shameful I, bronze. Everybody, everybody seems to be fit again and ready to play. And so um, I, for one, am really looking forward to them competing for the title again. Can I ask a point of order question? Sure. At the end of the last episode of Ted Lasso, were they or were they not playing You'll Never Walk Alone? They absolutely were playing You'll Never Walk Alone. Can you talk about, like, You'll Never Walk Alone in Liverpool lore and and then why it would be so great to be at the end of this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's probably the most iconic fan song in the entire sport. And Liverpool perhaps has made it most famous. It's a... It's a song from the 60s from, I think, the musical Carousel. Um, But it is sung before and sometimes after in the most dramatic of games, uh, every Liverpool home game, where the entire 50,000 people at Anfield sing, You'll Never Walk Alone. So I was really pleased to see that in the closing montage. That particular version, I think, was sung by the lead singer of... of, um, Mumford, uh, what is it? Mumford Mumford and Sons. Yeah, Mumford and Sons. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, who they sing the theme song to Ted Lasso as well. So it's a it's a really good recording of it. In fact, if you guys are okay with it, I'll I'll send you a a link to a a famous crowd version of singing. You'll never walk alone. And we'll put it in in show notes. There you go. The the it would be it would be great in the show notes where folks can get a feel for what it's like to be in England watching a game uh, at the highest levels and the most emotional levels of this particular song was sung in 2019 after they came back from 3-0 three, three down against Barcelona and Lionel Messi, one of the best players of all time, to make the European Cup finals. And they won it then for the first time in, in, in 30 years. So, um, But the emotion of the crowd singing it is pretty cool. It, it really is. There's really nothing like it in American sport. And so it's, it would be fun for you all to watch. Yeah, that's the thing that I feel like, you know, I, I I mentioned it at the beginning of our conversation, but this feeling of it just it's different when you feel like you're watching something with the whole world. Yeah. And I mean, my father was a huge football fan and um, you're you know. He's Italian, so he was, you know, a, a Milan fan. And, I mean, I can remember... <laughs> I can remember Sunday afternoons, like, the, you know, the goal! Right. Yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, walking through the the living room and just ha- the endless, endlessly watching those little dots on, like, the green field, the pitch, just running back and forth and wondering why my dad, you know, was so riveted. But it kept him, obviously, for him, and this is true of all sports, I think, it keeps you connected to home. Absolutely. You know, you grow up in New England, you end up in California, you watch your Patriots games wherever you can. And I think that was true for him very much. But also there is this real sense of, like, you're watching it with a billion other people around the globe. And it feels 
suddenly like the world is very small. Yeah. And I feel like we don't, Americans don't have that. None of our sports give us that feel of like the world is very small. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, most American uh, sports fans are fans of their particular city's teams. Right. Um, but the broad appeal and brand for some of these largest soccer clubs in the world, um, and when you're playing for your country at the highest stage, really makes it all the more dramatic. Yeah. And then when it gets to the Cups, suddenly you're, you know, the captain of the Milan team is now, you know, back on the Swedish team. And so Italy's cheering for Italy, but then they're also cheering the Milan you know, fans are also cheering for Sweden during the Euro. It's really a yeah, fun, cool. it feels very fun. Also, if we had better pub culture, I feel like <laughs> we'd spend more time <laughs> watching yeah. soccer. Yeah, more of, a, more of a tailgate culture here than a pub culture. You're right. <laughs> That's the Ohio in us, maybe. It is. Um, <laughs> well, Eric, thank you for coming on and sharing your, like, awesome sports knowledge but also like i knew you'd have really interesting th- things yeah. to say about like the bigger themes in the the story ones that maybe i'm not a big fan of soccer i only watch it when i'm with you but like hearing about that totally makes sense to me why we all love ted lasso at many levels yeah. well happy to do it thanks for inviting me and anytime you need a sports ball expert i'm your guy perfect thanks eric that was the most fun yes it was <laughs> I really loved meeting Eric, too. That was so fun. I'm so glad he joined us. He, yeah. You know what? I think the thing that's been really fun for me about Ted Lasso is how many people in my life have enjoyed it. Yeah. Right? Like, I talked to, I mean, I watched it with Mr. Reed's Romance. I talked about it with you. I talked about it with my brother. I mean, so the thing about this show is that it is, it has something for everyone. It does. It's really great. Um, Thanks, Jason Sudeikis and Brett Goldstein and the rest of the writers' room for a really great show. We are super excited and can't wait for the new season. Um, You are listening to Faded Mates. You can find us online at fadedmates.net, where you can take a survey about listening to Faded Mates. Even if you're a first-time listener, we we love you. Tell us about your love of Ted Lasso. Um, that is at fadedmates.net, right on the landing page. You can also find merch there, uh, stickers from Jen's best friend, Kelly, who makes a really lovely sticker. She does. And yep. um, Twitter at fadedmates and Instagram at fadedmatespod. And do not sleep on the show notes, everyone. Jen is a superstar and works so hard on them every week, and they are pretty perfect. So... I have a lot of work to do this week because we mentioned a lot of things, but you'll never walk alone, everybody. And that's all you need to know about that. <laughs>